good morning. Why don't you stand to your feet as we sing together and celebrate the rock of our salvation this morning. He is my rock, my shield, my fortress, my salvation, my strength. Sing with me this morning. He is my rock, my shield, my fortress. He's my salvation and my strength. The cords of death, they were surrounding me, but he heard my cry for help. He is my refuge, my high tower. He's my deliverer, so strong. The snares of death, they stand and trust I'll stand in faith I will not be shaken so I'll stand and trust I'll stand in faith I will not be shaken He is my rock, my my salvation and my strength. The cords of death, they were surrounding me, but he heard my cry for him. So I'll stand and trust, I'll stand in faith, and I stand and trust I'll stand in faith and I will not be Thank you. 
not be moved. Our God will never change. Our God will reign forevermore. More. Our God will not be moved. Our God will never change. Our God will reign forevermore. Forever. Would you read this with me from uh, Titus, starting in verse 3? Once we, too, were foolish and disobedient. We were misled and became slaves to so many passions and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy, and we hated each other. But when God, our Savior, revealed His kindness and love, He saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because of His grace, He made us right in His sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. Amen. What gift of grace is Jesus, my Redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. To this I hold. My hope is only Jesus, for my life is wholly bound to His. Oh, how strange and divine I can sing. All is mine, yet not I, but through Christ in me. dark, but I am not forsaken, for by my side the Savior, He will stay. I labor on in weakness and rejoicing, for in my need His power is displayed. To this I hope my shepherd will defend. shall overcome yet not I but through Christ in me no fate I dread I know I am forgiven the future sure the price it has been paid for Jesus bled and suffered for my pardon and here 
Good morning, church. It's quite a worship service already, amen? Thankful that we serve a faithful God who has loved us enough to give himself for us, care for us enough to give us each other to worship with, to have community with, what we've been learning in our community uh, groups in Master Life this week. Trust that you all have been enjoying that. Um, I want to welcome everyone to our services this morning, and specifically, if you are visiting with us this morning, uh, we would like for you to take a care card that's in the pew back in front of you, and uh, take some time to fill that information out, and make sure you get that back to us, uh, because we want to know uh, of your visit with us. We just want to be able to get back with you and say thank you for being here, and answer any questions that you might have regarding our church. On the flip side of that care card is a place for anybody to fill out a prayer request. And that, again, comes to our staff. Uh, and we pray specifically for those needs. Um, you can turn these care cards in on the giving boxes that are located on the back wall as you exit the foyer of our sanctuary this morning. But 
We are super grateful that you have chosen to worship with us here today at Pitts. So, uh, in an effort to streamline announcements, because they can get lengthy, right? Um, I just want to mention a couple of things to you this morning and then direct your attention to the QR code. Um, and you can, you can scan that QR code and that will take you to places uh, that will help you know what's going on in the life of our church. Uh, you can also stay up to date by signing up for our email blast. And now we have our February newsletter. You can run by the welcome desk and, and get this. These are just ways that you can stay in tune with what's going on here at Pitts Baptist Church. So please take advantage of all those opportunities. I will mention a couple things. Number one, tomorrow night we are starting our men's basketball league. Why am I mentioning this to you? Uh, we are called to missions, right? Uh, tomorrow night we're going to have over 60 young men in our gym uh, for our men's basketball league. Uh, the mission field has come to us. Uh, it is a great and wonderful opportunity to do missions here in our church. Uh, I need a referee tomorrow night, and I need one more captain. I am sure uh, that in a group this size, there might be somebody saying, I can help out. And guys, it really is. It's more than just playing basketball. It is it's discipling young men, telling them the gospel, how they can be saved, and teaching them how they can be uh, uh, strong believers. So y'all come and see me. If the Lord is laying that on your heart, I'll be at the front of the church, or Kevin Sigerwill, or you can talk to James Blanford. Uh, just love, would love to have your participation. Um, our adult choir, uh, they've begun their preparations for uh, the Easter musical that they will be presenting, and it is uh, called uh, Experiencing God. Uh, it's going to be a, a great musical experience, and uh, it's now time to join the choir. JT would love your involvement. Uh, the choir meets at 6.30 on Wednesday nights. I mean, anybody can do it. Look, David Fink is in it. <laughs> I'm waiting for a comeback, so I better hurry. So... But come and join the choir. What an incredible ministry uh, and how they lead us Sunday in and Sunday out. And we look forward to what will come uh, on Easter as well. We also just want to go ahead and put in your mind the date for VBS, June 23rd through the 27th. So go ahead and mark that on your calendar so that uh, you can be able to serve uh, during that week. Um, Women of Faith, a ministry that reaches out to our senior uh, ladies who are widowed or divorced. Uh, you have a time of encouragement and fellowship coming up this Tuesday at 11.30 at the Mayflower Restaurant. There's no need to sign up. Just come. Uh, if you want more information about this, please see Jamie Floyd. Well, this week in Master Life Today, we've been studying uh, the Christ-centered community. In our quiet times, we've studied the body of Christ, the church, small groups, unity in the body, and then prioritizing community uh, within, uh, within all these. So I hope and pray that you have dug in the scriptures and dug in your Master Life Quiet Time book and, and let the Lord use that to stir your hearts in all of these things. And then our, our memory verse is found in John 13, 34 and 35. And we're going to say that together. Uh, and we're going to start with the reference and end with the reference. So let's read this together. Here we go. John 13, 34 and 35. A new commandment I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love 
one another. John 13, 34, and 35. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for allowing us to be your bride. What an incredible thought and reality to know that we belong to you. We're your bride. You've given yourself for us entirely. And we thank you and praise you for that. You have called us. You've chosen us. You've redeemed us. You've died for us. You've rose again for us so that we could be yours. Father, thank you that you've given each of us, each other, to be in community with so that we might grow together by encouraging one another, by loving one another, by serving one another, and by sacrificing for one another. God, help us to do this so that we might bring honor and glory to your name. Help us, God, to grow in our relationship with you and with one another so that we might be salt and and light in a world that so desperately needs you. God, thank you for what you've done for us. You've given to us that, that gift that we could not give ourselves. You've given us yourself. You've given us eternal life through Jesus. And God, I pray that if there's one here this morning that does not know you, does, does not have a relationship with you, that does not have their sins forgiven because they've not called out on Jesus to be their Lord. I pray this morning by the power of the Holy Spirit, God, that you allow them to see their need for salvation and they get saved. God, thank you for our pastor. Thank you for the word that you've given him. Lord, I pray that again, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you use him to speak to our hearts that we would be made more and more like your wonderful son, the Lord Jesus. I pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Christ's love lifts us out of our sin and self. Let's stand together and sing this classic hymn. It's fun to sing, talking about love lifted me. Would you join me? I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry from the waters lifted me now safe am i love lifted me love lifted me when nothing else could help love lifted me love lifted me love lifted me To him I give, ever to him I'll cling. In his blessed presence live, ever his praises sing. Love so mighty and so true, merits my soul's best songs. Faithful loving service due to him belongs. Love lifted me, love lifted me. Nothing else could help. Love lifted me. Love lifted me. Love lifted me. When nothing else could help. Love lifted me. 
souls in danger look above Jesus completely saves he will lift you by his love out of the angry waves he's the master of the sea billows his will obey he your savior wants to be he saved to
the roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me then came the morning that sealed the promise your very body began to Good to see you this morning, and good singing. It's uh, good to see Brandon Brooks with us this morning. He's one of our young missionaries appointed through the IMB, serves uh, in a place in Asia that we don't advertise because of the safety of the missionaries. It's good to see him enrolled at Southeastern Seminary and taking some classes, and also in town, I suspect, uh, for his grandmother, uh, Sarah, who is at the hospice house in her final moments of life. And so pray for Brandon and his family. Of course, his granddad in our church, Bob Brooks. Uh, pray for these folks. You know, there were so many great passages to look at this week. Uh, what a great unit. Uh, talking about the fellowship of believers and I want to invite you to turn to one of those passages now, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, and we're going to look at the subject matter this morning, uh, continuing steadfastly. Continuing steadfastly, Acts chapter 2, uh, beginning in verse 41 and reading down through verse 47. I'll be reading this morning from the ESV, which I typically do, not exclusively, but usually the ESV. And so if you'll find Acts uh, chapter 2 in your copy of the Scripture and stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Again, we'll begin in verse 41. In verse 41, Luke writes, it, it's neat what Luke does from time to time, going through the book of Acts. He pauses... And gives you a little summary, gives you an update on the life of the church. 
And this is one of those times early on that he gives a summary account before the narrative begins advancing once again. And listen to what he says there in verse 41. So those who received his word, that would be Simon Peter who preached on the day of Pentecost, those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Lord, we thank you for this glimpse inside the life of the early church. And what a very important glimpse it is because it says so much about what they prioritized. Uh, what their lives were like, what their influence and conduct was like. And Lord, through their example, I pray that we would learn this morning and that our lives would emulate theirs in so many ways. We know that the times are different, the cultures are different, but many of the challenges remain the same. God, help us to continue steadfastly in that which you have appointed us to do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. In his little book, What Christ Thinks of the Church, Dr. John R.W. Stott looks at the seven churches in the book of Revelation. Those seven churches in chapters 2 and 3. And he gives us a little update on each. And that's so important because we know in those letters to the churches, it's the Lord Jesus giving a report card, if you will, to his church just decades. Just a few short decades after those churches have begun. And uh, we see there that five of the seven churches had great needs in them. In some way, they had ventured off course. For example, at Ephesus, they were continuing to labor for the Lord. And not just labor, but labor even tirelessly and diligently. And yet he said to them, you have lost your first love. You don't love me anymore the way you did at first. And he challenged them to repent and come back to what they were. And then at Pergamum, they were compromisers. And so Jesus said to them, repent or I'm going to come and make war against you with the sword of my mouth. At Sardis, they'd fallen asleep. Jesus said, it's time for you to wake up and strengthen those things that remain because I have not found your deeds complete. 
at Laodicea, we know they were lukewarm. They were neither really in the kingdom nor out of the kingdom. They had sort of perfected the art of having one foot in the world and one foot in the church. And because of this, Jesus said, you make me sick to my stomach. I wish you were hot or cold. And because you're lukewarm, unless you change, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Folks, what a tremendous contrast life in those churches was compared to life in the church in the book of Acts. Both in character and in mission, the the church in the book of Acts stands out as a model to us today. And when you think of it, when you think of what's going on there, it's quite remarkable when you think also in terms of the church today. I mean, here we are today sitting in this one location and we stand upon the shoulders of those 120 believers that we meet in Acts chapter 1. In fact, when you look at the church all over the world today, millions and millions and millions of folk, hundreds of millions of believers around the world, we all stand on the shoulders of the 120 believers we meet at the beginning of the church of Acts. And then, of course, by the time we get down to our passage today, we see after Simon Peter's message, 3,000 souls had been added to the 120. But again, when you think of the impact the early church had, there's only one explanation for it. Christ Jesus is doing exactly what he said to his disciples in Matthew 16 that he would do. He is building his church and he said the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I think all of us are aware today of the challenges the church across the land is facing today. There are bukus of statistics out there, none of which are very encouraging. But we know, we know that the church is going to be around until the end because Jesus said so. We know that in in many places, church leadership, denominational leadership, they're making decisions how to blend the church in with the culture. To be more like the culture. And that's dangerous. The church is to be like what what, what the Lord said even in the Old Testament about Israel. He told them when he led them into the promised land, they were not to be like the peoples around them. They were a distinct people. They were to be different. They were his possession now. And he said, you're not to be like those around you. You are to be different and you're to reflect what I'm doing in your lives. Same thing today. We're not to be like the culture. Jesus said to his disciples, we're to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And we're to point others to what God is doing in and through us, giving the glory to him. Again, just like they were doing in the book of Acts. It strikes me profoundly how different the church in the book of Acts was from their culture. Their culture even tried to persecute them and silence them, but the culture could not do that. What was it about them? And now I'm not suggesting the church in the book of Acts was a perfect 
church because we know they weren't. They had challenges all their own. But what was it about them that made them stand out from their unbelieving neighbors so profoundly? And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to see the vibrancy and the practices of the early church. And, and what we need to understand is that regardless of changing methodologies, there are principles that are never supposed to change. And if we're not careful, if we change certain things, then we cease to be a New Testament biblically oriented church. So again, what is it about the, the, the life inside the early church that made them so impactful in their culture. Well, first of all, I want you to see what, what should be an obvious point for any church today. They were a converted church. Look again at verse 41. It says, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Who is the church? The church is made up of the redeemed of the Lord. The Holy Spirit has quickened us. He has saved us. He has drawn us to faith in Jesus Christ and we have experienced the new birth. The Bible says we were dead in our trespasses and sins. But God, because he's rich in mercy, he has made us alive together with Christ. And because we're alive together with Christ, we are new creations in Christ. Folks, that ought to be the first distinctive of a church. A church is made up of those who have had a saving experience, a salvation experience with the Lord Jesus Christ. Their lives have been changed. The old is gone. The new has come. Now we know the church is universal in its scope because it's made up of believers all over the world. And that's why in the Apostles' Creed that many churches this morning will be reciting in, in their worship services. They will say at one point, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. Now, some Protestants will object and say, but we're not Catholic, but they misunderstand the word there. It's not speaking of the Catholic Church in, in, in the sense of the Roman Catholic Church, but a little c, Catholic in terms of of universal the universal church that's all that word means and so in some protestant churches they take out the word catholic out of the creed and plug in universal i believe in the universal church which is fine but the point i'm making is we have brothers and sisters in the lord all over the world who share with us a common salvation experience and we thank god for each of them but while being universal in its scope, the church is local in its expression. You can't fellowship with those all over the world. But you can fellowship in your local setting with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, I want you to remember the context here in Acts chapter 2. It's the day of Pentecost. The people had a question about what was going on. They thought when the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles that the apostles were drunk. 
And so in response to this accusation, Peter preached a sermon as to what was going on. And in that sermon, Peter preached about the person and work of Jesus Christ, specifically his death, burial, and resurrection. And according to verse 37, at the close of the sermon, there was conviction that was being expressed. And so Peter gave an invitation The people wanted to know how to respond. And in verses 38 to 40, Simon Peter walked them through an appropriate response to the gospel. And again, we're told that 3,000 received the message. And receive there, it's, it's a word that means literally they welcomed the message. They embraced the message as their very own. And so this is the first thing we notice about the early church. It was made up of those who had received the message of the gospel. They repented of their sins and they placed their faith in Christ and Christ alone for their salvation. Folks, this is very important to see. The church is made up of those who are redeemed, who are born again. Who've experienced the spiritual birth that Jesus spoke to Nicodemus about. There can be no shortcut for that. There can be no substitute for that. Of course we want one and all to visit the church and attend the church. But in order to truly be a part of Christ's church, Christ's body. You have to have had a salvation experience. You have to be converted. One can legitimately, I suppose, ask the question, is church membership today even that important? And I think the answer to that question is yes. There's every indication in the New Testament that membership was a very real thing. Now, we're not told how they recorded such, but nonetheless, when Paul told the church at Corinth that they needed to expel a brother out of their fellowship, there's indication there there had to be some sense of formal belonging to something if you were going to be expelled from it. You can't really be expelled from something you don't belong to. And we see accountability to one another in the New Testament. Again, that that assumes some type of formalized gathering. Folks, just like we were created to have a biological family, we are created to have a spiritual family. If you are a follower of Christ, you've had a salvation experience, and you've been attending with us for a while, but you've never joined We would love to invite you to join, become a part of our church fellowship. We would be privileged to do that, to be a family together with us, that we can pray for one another, hold one another accountable in in certain ways, encourage one another. We would be delighted to have you as a part of our church family here. And at the end of the sermon today, you'll be invited to come forward if you would like this to be your church family. In his sovereign will, God has determined that believers aren't to flounder around on their own out in the world, but they are to be a part of a corporate fellowship. Because as part of a corporate fellowship, we can operate better as the body of Christ and glorify Christ in the world. Because there's some things you can't do on your own. 
In the New Testament, when somebody got saved, again, they became of a fellowship. And so Paul would write, for example, to the church at Philippi, or the church at Ephesus, or the church at Thessalonica, or the church at Rome. Those were local fellowships. Local fellowships. It was serious enough that the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 10, one of our passages we looked at this week, we're we're encouraged there to be consistent and regularly meet together, pray for one another and encourage one another. And what's so striking about that Hebrews 10 passage is the context. You see, in their context, being a Jewish person who had come to faith in Christ, You could get in serious trouble by going to church that day. It could cost you a lot. You might be arrested. You might be shunned. You might lose your family. You might be ostracized in the community to the point that other people, if you ran some kind of business, they wouldn't even trade with you. And so you would be canceled, so to speak. And yet, even though it could cost them that much for going to church, the writer of Hebrews says, Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as is the habit of some. And he went on to say, as we meet together and pray for one another and encourage one another, we're to provoke one another to love and good deeds. And he said, we're to do this all the more as we see the day approaching. What day is he talking about? He's talking about the second coming of Christ. Folks, we are closer today to the return of Christ than we were an hour ago, than we were yesterday. And we need to stop and think about that. We are closer today than ever before. In this moment, right now, we are closer than ever before that Jesus might split the sky and come back for his church. And so we need to be praying for one another and encouraging one another all the more seeing that time might be shorter than we realize. Ephesians 4 says that God gives us different gifts in the body too. We looked at that. We looked at that, different different uh, spiritual gifts. One's an arm, one's a leg, one's an ear, one's an eye, one's a mouth. And it takes all the parts of the body together, carrying out their part in the body to have a complete body that functions. So an analogy is being given in the New Testament that just like you have a physical body with different parts, if you're going to function properly, a spiritual body has different parts likewise. And we need all the parts together, functioning together, if we're going to be a healthy body. And this is the Lord's design. This is the church made up of the redeemed who have gathered together in a local expression faithfully attending praying for one another encouraging one another and living out their god-given gifts spiritual gifts for the sake of the body and that's what we see in this church 
Second thing I want you to notice about them, a second principle. They were not only a converted church, but they were a devoted church. Look at verse 42. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. They were devoting themselves. The tense of that in the Greek is is ongoing. It's an ongoing process. They were constantly devoting themselves to these things. So what is it they were devoting themselves? Too. Well, let's just go through the list and the verse. First of all, he says, to the apostles' teaching. First came doctrine. It always comes first. Experience must always be tested by doctrine, not doctrine by experience. We're being told here they were Bible-built and Bible-based. And folks, when you come to church, I believe that's what you ought to find. You ought to, you ought to hear the Scripture. We ought to be a fellowship grounded, rooted and grounded in the Word. In community groups, in services, whatever group you're in in the church, grounded in the Word. The Apostles' teaching. You would think that would be a given in all places. But it's not. I think of the man who went to a pet store to buy a parrot. And he told the owner what he wanted. The owner said, well, I have two. One for 100 bucks, one for 200. uh, One for 100 bucks, one for 25. He said, what's the difference? Well, the pet store owner said, well, the $100 parrot, it talks a whole lot more. And the guy said, well, I want a good deal. I'll take the $25 one and then I'll I'll, uh, teach him to speak. Well, he wouldn't speak. So he went back to the pet store and and said he won't talk. He's not doing anything. He's not flourishing. What's he need? The man said, oh, he needs a mirror so he can look at himself. So he spent money and bought a mirror. Still, the parrot wouldn't flourish. And he went back to the pet store. And the pet store said, well, he needs a ladder to go up and down on. Get his exercise. Still wasn't flourishing. Went back and then the owner said, well, you need to buy him a swing so he can kind of entertain himself on the swing. He bought all that. About a week or two later, the guy came back and said, I want my money back. The parrot died. He said, what happened? Well, he looked at himself in the mirror. He ran up and down the ladder. He he swung on the uh, swing. He hopped down, flopped off back on his back, legs up in the air, and he died. Pet store owner said, did he say anything eventually before he died? And he said, yeah. He said, hey, buddy, don't they have some food down there at that store? Churches today that have all kinds of bells and whistles and ladders, so to speak. But is there food? Is there spiritual feeding? This fellowship in the book of Acts, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. You know, it amazes me in the pastoral epistles like First and Second Timothy and Titus. The emphasis that Paul gives to these young preacher boys of his of keeping the focus on God's word. 1 Timothy 4.13, he says, Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. 
in chapter 4, verse 16, he says, Pay close attention to yourself and your teaching. Persevere in these things. For as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul says, Retain the standard of sound words which you've heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, he says, The things which you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. In 2 Timothy 3.16, he reminds Timothy that all Scripture is God-breathed. It's inspired. And so in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, he says, Timothy, preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Folks, Christianity is built on the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. We are to stand on that. We are to stand on what the apostles preached and taught. Paul gives a good example of this in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, I delivered to you as of first importance... What I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised again on the third day according to the scriptures. Folks, there is a body of truth that is Christian truth. And that means when you attend a church fellowship, you ought to be hearing that. You ought to be hearing about the person and work of Jesus Christ. And what God has done in and through his people in Old Testament times and now in New Testament times. Jude 3 says we are to earnestly contend for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. A body of Christian doctrine that we are faithful to. You know, I realize people don't like that. Some people don't like that today. We, we rub shoulders with people out in the world who would try to tell us there is no such thing as absolute truth. You know, going back to that German uh, philosopher centuries ago, Hegel. That truth is always in a state of flux, always changing. And so you hear people today, there's no such thing as absolute truth. It's always changing. It's always evolving. Your, your young people may go away to university and a professor tries to tell them that. They ought to say to the professor, then why do I need to listen to your lecture if there's no such thing as absolute Why do I need to take your test if there's no thing as absolute truth? I ought to be able to write down whatever I want to write down. And you give me an A for the class. Folks, we know there's truth. We know there's absolute truth. And the church in the book of Acts was committed to God's truth. And that's why when you come here, unless we're in a special series like we're doing now, Master Life, generally, not exclusively, but generally what I will be doing is preaching through books of the Bible. Why is that? Because in doing so, you're exposed to the whole counsel of God. And if we don't go through books in the Bible, what are we going to be tempted to do? We're going to be tempted just to camp out on those passages 
that sort of scratch some kind of itch that we've got. And, and we're going we're gonna to neglect the whole counsel of God. We need the whole counsel of God. And that's why we go through the Bible. And the early church in the book of Acts was devoted to this, devoted to going through the Scripture. Not only to the apostles' teaching, but I want you to see what they were devoted to next. It says, and to the fellowship. The Greek word here is koinonia. You've heard that word probably all through your church life if you've been in church a number of years. Koinonia. Now we need to understand that biblically speaking, koinonia is a whole lot more than just enjoying coffee and donuts together. Koinonia is a special bond of fellowship between brothers and sisters in Christ. A bond that the Holy Spirit creates. And the world ought to see our fellowship like that together. It's been said the world will not care how much we know until they see how much we care. The verse we quoted this morning, John 13, we're to love one another. The world will see you're my disciples if you love one another. Folks, the church is not just a building where you come and, and sit. Stare at the back of one another's heads, sing songs, listen to a sermon, and, and get up and leave. We are a fellowship of brothers and sisters in Christ where we do life together. I'm not going to rehash what I went into last week, but the danger we're seeing today all over the world, and as I mentioned last week, especially among men, we're just isolating ourselves. They're, we don't have friendships anymore. We don't have fellowship together. I even know somebody, who I, I kind of chuckle under my breath when I hear them say, I'll, I'll hear them, they're, they're, they're just obsessed with being on Facebook and Instagram, their social media. And they'll say, oh, I've got friends all over, all over the country. I've got, I've got good friends in California. I've got friends in Maine. I've got, I've got friends in, in Washington. I've got friends uh, down in Florida. And I just kind of want to laugh and say, no, you don't. I mean, you've got social media friends. But real friends are somebody you have over for a cookout on Friday night. You go out to dinner with. If they go in the hospital, you go in and visit them. That's what friendships are about. And, and, and that's what the church ought to be made up of. Friendships where, where there's more than just this superficial online stuff going on. But you're actually interacting with people. In the flesh, you're interacting with one another. You're building relationships. And we're told here that the early church was committed to that committed to the fellowship you know some people say but I just don't have friends at church well you got to remember what the book of Proverbs for instance says to have friends you've got to be a friend you've got to take the initiative and be a friend and I think if you'll do that you'll see the friendships you'll end up with and you'll treasure those they were also committed to the breaking of bread. Now, in the, in the Greek text here, it's the bread. They were committed to breaking the bread. 
And many will say this is undoubtedly a reference to the Lord's Supper. Now, back then, the Lord's Supper usually took place at the end of a fellowship meal. And so the distinctions, the lines of distinctions can be a little bit blurred. They would, they would break bread together and a meal together, a feast together, and then they would break bread together in the Lord's Supper. Why would they break bread together like this? Because the Lord's Supper is one of the ordinances of the church that proclaims the gospel. That's why we need to come to a fellowship together for the breaking of bread, being able to take part in the ordinance, ordinances together. You can't do that by yourself, you see. We see new believers being baptized, which is an ordinance. Proclaiming the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and how they're a new creation in Christ. They're joined with him in his death, burial, and resurrection. And then when we break bread together in the Lord's Supper, what are we proclaiming? Again, Christ, his, his sacrifice for us, his death, burial, and resurrection. We're proclaiming to the world where our hope is, our hope of salvation. It's in Christ and Christ alone. And so as we meet together in the fellowship, going over the apostles' teaching, going over doctrine, teaching scripture, we're also partaking of the ordinances together, the breaking of the bread. This is what they were faithful to in the early church. And then finally he says here, to prayer. To prayer. You know, folks, every great movement of God that I'm aware of has begun in prayer. Sometimes it's been college students getting together on their campus and praying together. Revival breaks out. Or businessmen and women uh, devoting their lunch hour to, to praying together. Revival breaks out. All kinds of history of that in the Great Awakenings. I'm not aware of any great movements of God that have taken place apart from prayer. We see the early church committed to this. You say, why is that so important? Because in prayer, folks, what are we confessing? What are we acknowledging? We are acknowledging our dependence on Him. We're nothing without Him and can do nothing apart from Him. You know, one of the problems today, I think we have so much technology in the world today. Sometimes we try to depend upon all that and we miss out on the power of God. We need the power of God. And that comes only as we are dependent upon God through prayer. So prayer is so important in the individual life of a believer and in the corporate life of a church. They were committed to this in the book of Acts, to prayer. And again, the definite article is with it, the prayers. And so some have suggested, some commentators suggested that in the early church, just like in some churches today, there was a body of prayer, liturgical type prayers that, that were written down and people would read. Some folks don't like that. There's nothing wrong with that if those prayers are accurate with Scripture. The, the prayers written down and used in worship services. There'll be, this morning as some churches gathered together, there are certain prayers that they would read through, pray together as they were gathering to, to praise God at the opening of worship. And then there may be a, a set prayer written down for a confession of sin. That's what they were devoted to in the early church. Prayer in the fellowship. The prayers. 
Also, we see they were a loving church, the third thing I want you to see. Look at verse 44 and following. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Here's a passage that communists want to use to insist on not having private ownership. That's not what this passage teaches at all. And the Bible affirms the right to private ownership. The sharing here was voluntary. And the tense of it, what it means as, as the body of Christ in the book of Acts saw needs in their fellowship arise... People would just simply share what they had. Even if they needed to sacrifice, sell something they had in order to contribute, they would do that from time to time. They did it as needs arose. Everybody didn't just go out and sell everything at once and put in a common kitty together. That's not what it's saying. The body of Christ saw needs arise within, their bo- within the body And the individual members of the church would do whatever they needed to do to be able to contribute to help that person. Because you have to remember in ancient times they also didn't have any kind of programs out in society that would help people. Your church family was your help. If there was a tragedy that created some need in your family or a health crisis or whatever, your church family would take care of that. And that's what they were doing. They were a loving fellowship to the point that they were not satisfied to look at one of their brothers and sisters in need and turn away from that need. As a church, they would do whatever they had to do to help that person and that person's family. A wonderful expression of Christian love in action. That's what they were doing. Folks, what kind of effect do you think that would have on the community around? You think that would make a difference in their community when they would see the New Testament church treating one another with such love and devotion and helping one another? You think that impacted the unbelieving world? Absolutely it did. And that's the fourth thing I want you to see about them. They were an impactful church. It says, praising God in verse 47. And having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. God was adding to the church. And the world sat up and took notice of the early church. They saw what God was doing in this fellowship. They saw how they were treating one another. They were looking at how they lived and how different they were from the world. And you know what? There were unbelievers that were drawn to that. They said, what's this all about? I want to hear more about this. And they would be told about the gospel and the Lord would add them to the fellowship. They were an impactful church. Would anybody look at us today? I hope the answer would be yes. And see everything going on in us that we see in this passage. 
there will be people drawn to that. And God will add to the church. I want to give you some takeaway lessons. Number one, a constant faithfulness is needed to the things of the Lord in the church. A constant faithfulness is needed to the things of the Lord in the church. And I want you to remember something. For the church to be faithful, you have to be faithful. Because who's the church? You're the church. You're the church. Look around with me for a moment at one another. It, it's not the columns, it's not the wood and the floor and the bricks and mortar outside that's the church. This is the church building. But you're the church. If Pitts Baptist is going to be faithful to the Lord, continuing steadfastly in this community, that means you're going to have to be doing that, and I'm going to have to be doing that. Secondly, conversion places one into the church, the universal body of Christ. And then you're to find a local expression of that, a local church. Do you need conversion? Not just membership in something, but conversion. Do you know that you need Jesus Christ in your life? Myself and the other pastoral staff members, we would love to pray with you about that this morning. If you know in your heart you've never had a salvation experience and you want to hear more about that, we would love to talk and pray with you about that. Thirdly, a constant faithfulness to the Word of God and the ongoing health of the fellowship with its ordinances being consistently carried out is essential in a church. A constant faithfulness to the Word of God and to the ongoing health of the fellowship with its ordinances being consistently carried out is essential in a church. Will you commit yourself to offering a continuing devotion to these matters. Be devoted to the Word of God. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord. And be devoted to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Fourth, constant prayer is to be the habit of church members. Expressing ongoing dependence upon the Lord for His blessing and direction. Will you pray for the teachers of this church and for me that we will be faithful in proclaiming the word? Will you pray for the direction of this family here? Will you pray for your fellow members? We need to pray for one another. Will you commit to doing that? And then lastly, leaders and teachers among us, we need... We, we need to realize we have a tremendous responsibility ourselves to be faithful to the Word of God. That the people under our stewardship may be fed. James chapter 3 says, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we shall incur a stricter judgment. It's a serious task that we are about and every one of us need to realize this let's pray together Lord
Again, we thank you for this brief glimpse inside the life of the early church. What a blessing they were to one another. What a blessing they were to their communities. And Lord, they blessed you. They glorified and praised you. And people were drawn to it. God, as we've studied this week in this unit about about, uh, fellowship in in a church and belonging to a group. I pray that we would take all of these matters to heart and they would be an ever-increasing reality in our lives. Lord, forgive us for when we've isolated ourselves in any way from our brothers and sisters in Christ, when we've not been faithful, when we've not thought of others and encouraged others. Forgive us. Lord, help us to stay committed to that which you're passionate about. And God, I pray that constantly, month in and month out, we would see how you add to the fellowship as people are drawn to what they see you doing in our lives and in our midst. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.